This episode is all about what's really behind most time management challenges. It's called Beyond Busy, digging into the real reasons for time management struggles. Episode 156. Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role, build the confidence and competence to lead your team successfully, and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization? That's the question, and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress and dread, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders who know how to lead so everyone wins and grows. In this show, you learn how to think, communicate, and act as the confident and competent leader you know you can be. Welcome to this episode on time management. I've talked about time management on the podcast here before, and there are a number of strategies that I felt have really changed the game for me in terms of managing my time well, including time blocking. So being really intentional ahead of time, how I spend the hours between client calls or meetings and my big goals that I want to focus on during the week and blocking those into my calendar. Now, this strategy is not rocket science, and it's something that you could Google very easily. You could watch YouTube videos about it. It's easy information, easy knowledge. And most people who have some kind of time management issues have probably Googled these things before. They know that there are different ways to manage a calendar. They know they should be turning off notifications. For most people, solving these challenges is not about gathering more information or missing some kind of information, some kind of big secret, big strategy that would solve it all. For some people, it is. For example, if I look back 10 years ago and the way I managed my week then versus how I manage it now, the tactics, the actual knowledge that I have about it has definitely changed and grown and I've gotten better at it. So I'm not fully diminishing that. But what I am saying is for those people who've already learned the knowledge, you've already taken some courses, you've already listened to the time management podcasts and read the books, and yet they still have time management struggles, which could involve not having a good or healthy work-life balance or work-life integration, or they feel generally that they're working too much or that they are not focused enough and they're distracted too often. They feel like they never really get to the big rocks, the big strategic and important uh, tasks or responsibilities because they're constantly in that fire drill and everything is always urgent. Some people also procrastinate or do things in the last moment. And that's the thing that you want to shift out of, become more proactive, more well-prepared and balanced in their approach. Or some people just want to work fewer hours, right? And they don't know how to do this. For those cases where a knowledge of how to do it, the actual tactics is not the issue. It's the implementation that's the issue. We have to look at the underlying root causes. So it's not about just solving the busyness. It's digging really underneath to see what is actually going on. And in most cases there is an underlying reason for why people find themselves back into the cycle where they feel like they can't get out of. They're working too long, they're doing too many things, they feel they're too reactive in their day-to-day. And this is really the main point I want to share today. If you notice that it's not a knowledge issue for you, you know the tactics, but somehow they don't stick, they don't work for you, or 
as your great intentions on Monday morning, but then Monday at noon rolls around and you find yourself back into old habits. The first step is to acknowledge there's something going on underneath the hood that I need to look at. And unless I solve that thing, none of the tactics will work. So stop reading the book, stop listening to the podcast, start spending that time on looking at what's going on underneath and identifying the patterns. Now, I'm gonna give you some examples and these are all coming out of coaching conversations with leaders who many have pretty significant responsibilities and lots of things to do. So one of the underlying reason could be the hesitation to delegate. That again, there's a why, why do we hesitate to delegate? It could be because we have a really strong need for perfectionism. We need to see things 100% done and done properly and done really well. And that why, so we go even deeper, the why to that may be that we fear failing or we fear not looking good. Or there's an imposter syndrome at play where we fear we're going to be found out that if something isn't perfect in our eyes, that people will recognize we're actually not qualified for the role that we have. So in this specific example, you can see I asked why, or I went peeling the onion here, a few layers down. First, we have a time management issue. Why? Because we're not delegating enough, so we're holding on to too much. And this is easy for others to see. You might have even gotten feedback from others who say like, hey, I think you should delegate more. You're like, yeah, I know, but I kind of can't. And I get it intellectually, but it's harder to implement than it sounds, right? Then we have to look at why are you having a hard time delegating? Well, because I need things to be done really well. I don't like when they're half-assed. Okay, why is it that they have to be perfect in your eyes? Why is it that you can't let something slide? If it doesn't look great, you're going to be fine with it. Why is that? Because... I don't want to look bad. I don't want to be found out to not be qualified. I don't want to fail. I have a really strong fear of failing. And then why would that be? Well, because if I failed in this one project, it would mean to me that I'm a failure. And that may feel really heavy. Then no, I don't want to fail. I don't want to look bad. I don't want to be seen by others as not credible. I pride that I honor that it is a signal of my own self-worth. And here's where it gets tricky and we're really at that root cause. When our self-worth all of a sudden is being defined by how other people evaluate us, the feedback we get from work, the successes we achieve, or the positions and titles we have now determine how we feel about ourselves. And that is risky territory. Because now every time something goes well, whether or not that was in your control, like sometimes it's external circumstances, right? A client might discontinue a contract or there's a pandemic that totally gets in the way of you executing your project. Or there is a storm coming the day that you have an event planned. And so the whole thing falls flat. Was not in your control. Yet that event and the failure of that now makes you feel less good about yourself. And that again, and I hope you can see it now with giving a few examples, is really risky. On one hand, there's a success, you get a promotion, you feel really strong about yourself. The moment something doesn't go well, whether you've actually created that failure, and I'm using quotations mark here, something didn't go as planned and other people will tell you or you receive negative feedback. 
your inner self-worth now is like a roller coaster. It's up when it's good, it's down when it's bad. And it's emotionally draining because you experience that pain when you receive negative criticism. You do everything possible. You go above and beyond to make sure everyone out there loves your work and is happy with your performance. That inner you know, lack of just good baseline self-worth that's stable will drive you to go the extra mile, which to a degree is good, but then can very quickly lead to not delegating, right? That sense of control, the perfectionism that then leads to working long hours and spending way more time on tasks than you should. That also can lead to people pleasing tendencies or inability to say no. So you say yes to way too many things. You overcome it yourself and you're not swimming in your swim lane. So now underneath the lack of stable self-worth that is vastly independent of your job performance, you're now doing everything possible to reach the highs, right? So that you feel good about yourself. Now, there will always be times where things don't go well. And that emotional burden, one, is really hard to navigate. But also, this kind of life is exhausting. And so when people come to me and say, I have time management issues. I work way too many hours. I have a hard time closing my laptop at five, even though... I want to be there with my kids or even though I promise my spouse, I want to stop working on Saturdays and I fight myself back at the computer. I know I need to delegate more. My boss keeps telling me, but I just can't. I have a hard time letting things go or I fight myself back in the weeds of things. I finish up other people's work. I make it look nice the last minute before I send it off to my boss. I will, you know, go in and change the language and the wording of one of my direct reports work product because it didn't read well so you're inserting yourself when you were not asked for help this is the unsolicited help that you provide that's usually in a way undermining and disempowering to your direct reports even though it's all wrapped in this beautiful bow of being servant and being a supportive leader it often doesn't come across that way it is a signal that the boss doesn't trust me if the boss has to go finish up my work or make it look nicer. My boss doesn't think it's my work product is good enough. So they have to come in and fix it. So this is a bit of a vicious cycle because the more you do this, the more you'll teach your direct reports that you're a safety net in a way, that you'll always dare to double check and make sure there's no errors. If they miss something or they are about to hit a deadline, that you will go and follow up and check in with them. And whether we like it or not, in most cases, this underlying sentiment of, yes, my boss will be there as a safety net, will make these employees take even less ownership and will also not learn as much as they could if you were to provide them full ownership and if you were to coach them from the sideline, not by jumping in and running into the field to hit this soccer ball into the goal yourself. Instead, you're coaching them from outside the line. You're not kicking the ball. That's how they will grow. And as a result, then their work product will get better. They will start to take more ownership and will require less of your intervention. Right? So it's a vicious cycle that can spiral downward pretty quick. It can also be a cycle that we can then shift around. And this is where coaching can really be helpful. And what I do with clients is we turn this around. We communicate what we're changes we're making, what expectations we have, and we really stay back and coach from that sideline. And as a result, over the course of a few weeks, 
just like you're teaching direct reports to depend on you in a way, indirectly, you can also teach them like, no, I trust you, you got this, I'm giving you full ownership over this work product, so no, I'm not your backup. And there will be a few incidents here or there, and you have to sit in this discomfort and tolerate that, and then they learn, and all of a sudden you realize how your team will carry and be able to work more independently, and how you can get yourself out of all the nitty-gritty, all the weeds, and actually focus on the work that you need to focus on. Now, if that specific example didn't resonate with you, because that is not your time management problem, then no, that was just one example. The same is true with the people-pleasing and the saying yes. The more you say yes to things, the more people will ask you, because they know you will do it, and likely you'll do a really good job. You're motivated to do that, so you'll do a good job, and they know that, You'll become the go-to person for every single ask. And maybe down the road, you realize like, huh, why am I doing all this stuff? Why is no one else doing all these things? As a caring and driven manager, I know you want to strengthen your leadership skills, advance your career, and lead a high-performing, engaged team. And in order to do that, as a leader, you need to lead with a system, not by shooting from your hips or reacting to everyone else around you. To do so, you need to first learn what should go into a leadership system, and second, develop your own. Now, the good news is that I teach you one must-have part in your leadership system in a concise, actionable, and yet comprehensive course focused on running successful one-on-one meetings with your direct reports. It includes over 67 minutes of tactical leadership training, plus a set of resources to make this as easy and immediately applicable for you as possible. You can either watch the video lessons or listen to it through a private podcast feed on your phone. You can get your hands on this course, which I want every single manager to have, for a nominal $19 at ramonashaw.com slash one one. That's two times the number one. You can check the show notes for the details or head on over to ramonashaw.com slash one one to get started right now. So I'm going to go back to the beginning. I said the first thing is to acknowledge there's more than just lacking knowledge, right? There's an underlying pattern and you have to first acknowledge there's an underlying pattern, then identify what is your unique pattern, right? I gave you some examples here, maybe the one or the other resonated with you and then go deeper into that. Or maybe you do have a coach or you want to work with a coach who can help you identify what is that pattern and in which ways does that pattern show up. It's likely not just at work on one project. It's likely spinning across different parts of your responsibilities at work, but also in your personal life. I like to think about it as, you know, the mushrooms that are all connected with this fungi tissue in the soil. We see the mushrooms grow on the top we don't actually see the little connections underneath, but that's the root cause of it, right? So the mushrooms pop up here and there, a few feet to the left, a few feet to the right. Maybe they're really close together. Maybe they're far apart. Sometimes you have these big, massive groups of trees that are underlying all connected. And the same is true with time management root causes. It's often this underlying connection, but then you see it pop up. <laughs> the results pop up in pretty ways, but also not so pretty ways here or there. So if you feel drained and emotionally drained, you feel like you're stressed out, this is not a sustainable way of living for you. And with sustainable, I don't mean a few weeks or a few months, but years or decades, then this is probably a really good time to look at what's underneath of it all. 
So acknowledged is not just a tactical issue. Try to identify the pattern and then next will be breaking the pattern. And breaking the pattern will obviously really depend on each person and the real underlying root cause. But one quick tip I want to leave you with that may help as you look at your responsibilities and also this may help in figuring out the root cause is to do an RC or it's also called RASI or RASI exercise. What the RC exercise will do is it will help you clarify what should you actually be doing and what should you not be doing. So A stands for accountable. These are the things that you're ultimately accountable for, but you can delegate them if you want to. This is as part of a team, if you're a team lead, you're ultimately accountable for, for this piece of work. R is responsible. Those are the things that you're actually supposed to be doing. So A, accountable, you'll delegate. You're not doing the work, but you're accountable. So you need to make sure that there's some kind of like tracking that's happening for you where you're um, aware of the milestones and the deadlines and you have a system in place to check in and a, in clearly communicated a reporting process with the direct report who's actually doing the job. And then there are things that you're responsible for. Those are the things you actually are doing. And this is then a really good moment to think the things I'm responsible for. Should I be the one responsible for or should I just be the one that's accountable for it, right? Should I be doing it? Should I not? So write down all the things you're responsible for that you're actually doing. And if someone uh, delivers a work product to you that's 70% complete and you think I'm going to bring it to 100%, you're not sending it back telling them, hey, here are a few ways to make this, bring this to 100% or let's talk about it, what we could do to level up. Instead, you're doing it. That probably then becomes part of what you're responsible for because you're actually doing the work. Then the C stands for being consulted. So what is it that you need to be consulted about? Where do you want to provide information or expertise and maybe even have a say in decisions, although you are not actually accountable or responsible, but you may be consulted in that project or that responsibility. And then the I stands for being informed. Those are just the things you know you need to be informed about or you need to hear from your boss in order to then communicate to your team. So th these four terms make up RC. Some people interchange the A and the R and they call it RASI or RASI. Doesn't really matter that much. Accountable, responsible, consulted, and informed. Now there's a fifth category, and this is the category that we call do not touch. Do not get involved. Do not touch. I will not pick up this piece of work. I will not say yes to that. What is it that you do not touch? And this is really important to complete. And especially if you do this kind of exercise with other people on your team too, or with your manager to make sure you're aligned on what are you actually accountable for, responsible for, consulted, informed, and do not touch. It can serve as an accountability measure down the road when you find yourself going back into these habits or behaviors where you step in and you do too much. If we don't define what we should and shouldn't do, it becomes way harder to catch yourself down the road and withdraw because you haven't clarified what the actual ideal case should look like and you haven't put in place any kind of accountability. So doing this with a manager or doing this with the team can be even more helpful. Now, a few additional questions you might want to ponder about. One is, what kind of work that you do that you feel a little resentful about? It's a really good indicator. We often see this in personal lives. Oh, I have to organize my friend's baby shower and I hate that I have to do this. Why do I have to be the one to do this? I feel resentful towards the person who asked me to do this. 
that may be an indicator that I said yes to something I actually meant to say no to, right? Now, it's a bit of a harsh example here with the baby shower, but these things happen often when we find ourselves all of a sudden responsible for something we actually don't have the capacity to do, nor do we think it's particularly within our set of strengths to execute on those things. We feel resentful towards a person or even towards ourselves. Great indicator, something to dig deeper into. What do you do that is actually someone else's responsibility, right? So we've talked about earlier, what are things that you do when it on the RC chart, it would be falling within someone else's responsibility, but you are actually doing tactical work, like such as editing a report, you're actually in the report editing the document. You're not commenting or questioning or making them think through further, you're actually in there expanding on the paragraphs, adding more information. It's not your responsibility, but you're taking over now. So that's another one to look for. What are you not delegating and why? I'm going to help you identify some of these underlying patterns. And last but not least, what do you do that doesn't support your goals? What do you do day to day that has nothing to do with what's on your personal OKRs or your set of goals and responsibilities as defined and clarified with your manager? It's not to say that you shouldn't be doing any of this, right? We are team players, we work, we step in, we take on things that are not part of our job description. This is all just asking yourself these questions to see where can we identify these mushrooms that pop up. By doing so, we'll hopefully start to see the underlying root cause. Again, it's a lot easier to do this with a coach, but I'm obviously biased because I am a coach and I love seeing how quick we can get to results and turn this around in coaching conversations. But even if you don't have the resources to work with a coach, you know you can ask yourself these questions and have someone, a sponsor or a partner or a peer at work or at home to help you think through what might be happening for you. So I'm going to repeat the questions one more time. What are you resentful about? What do you do that is actually someone else's responsibility? What are you not delegating and why? What do you do that doesn't support your goals? So those are the questions to start reflecting on. Again, one, acknowledge it's not just a tactical issue. Two, acknowledge that it's a pattern, that there's an underlying pattern. Start to identify that pattern and then identify the tactics to help the behaviors or the changes in your mindset that you need to go through in order to create real behavioral change. We live in a society where busyness is still somewhat praised. Now, not all of us see it that way and it's very clear when new generations come into the workforce and not all generations stereotypically think about work the same way. Yet, when I work with leaders who are high performers, who take their career seriously, who have big ambitious goals, there's still often this underlying thought that the busyness is a good thing and it's required in order to be successful. And I raise my hand up high right now saying, I am definitely one of those people who always thought that I have to work really hard in order to be successful. But that is just a belief. There are other people out there who say like, no, not at all. I have to work smart. And I have to be balanced and be healthy and mentally strong and physically strong and have a really good relationship in my family in order for me to show up as my best at work. And then with that belief, they show up at work very differently. They say no to things that I would say yes to, right? Now, this is not about you really fundamentally 
changing your belief system. But it's important to recognize where is your belief system influencing how you operate, the choices that you make, what values are driving that, what beliefs are driving it. And then this level of self-awareness, you can actually decide what do you want to change and what do you not want to change. And just because busyness as this outdated model of success is definitely one worth reinvestigating given the negative impact it has on our relationships and our mental health and our physical health as well. Well, I hope you find this helpful. If you have time management issues and you've been struggling with them and you feel like you can't get out of it, I hope that this episode helped gave you some ideas on why that might be and what to do next. If you have friends or colleagues or family members who struggle with time management and you think this episode would help them too, please do pass it along. When we see other people sharing the episodes, it means a lot and tells us that this work is worth it. So thanks for doing that. And I'll see you next week with another episode of the Manager Track Podcast. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this episode, then check out two other awesome resources to help you become a leader people love to work with. This includes my best-selling book, The Confident and Competent New Manager, which you can find on Amazon or at RamonaShaw.com book and a free training on how to successfully lead as a new manager. You can check it out at RamonaShaw.com masterclass. These resources and a couple more you'll find in the show notes down below.